0: So, uh, no more about Jelco. when the fourth
1: don't you call in the more importantly, boy, the way Glenn Miller played
0: songs that made my head parade. Guys like
1: us, we had it made. Those, Those were, were the
0: day. well, here we are. Happy March 2022. Hi, Matthew. Oh, David, we lived through 222. 22 so before we start matthew i want to tell you something remember last month we talked about the golden palace and the episode with kim fields on it and how we were like this show wasn't bad it just was the victim of its circumstances
1: i'll take your word for it because i don't even remember what underwear i'm wearing today let alone what we talked about a month ago david but (laughs) sure
0: but the uh you recommended, you said it's a, it's a nice little watch. Just pop it on Hulu and let it autoplay while you're doing chores around the house. I did that. I'm yeah. almost through the, I think I'm like 20 episodes in. And uh, yeah, I agree with you. It is a delightful watch. It's perfectly fine. As far as TV show situation comedies from the early 90s go, It's it's great with these characters. It's just... Its greatest crime is it is not the Golden Girls. It is a different show, and there's just no way to watch it without that filter. But uh, yeah, no, I I want to tell you that I did take your advice, and I think it was very good advice. I've been enjoying it. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. So I really have been wanting to do this episode for some time. Uh, Let's just get into it, introduce it. All in the Family, season four, episode eight, called Where's Archie? Originally aired November 2nd, 1974. Because I remember as a kid seeing it in reruns and going, oh, that lady, that's Mrs. Garrett. But that's clearly before she was Mrs. Garrett because she's got brown hair and stuff. And uh, now the time came that I pitched this episode to you and realized it is a three-parter, three-parter. Oy.
1: And it's all in the family So it's good But it, I mean the la- That third episode I have to admit I, I fast forwarded a lot Because I was like They they told us what happened right at the beginning There was no need to watch the rest of it Like I thought they would at least like Have Archie come in at the end And explain where he had been or something But nope She just spills the beans right at the beginning of the episode And goes everything's good Now we just sit here and wait for Archie to come home. Yeah,
0: I think it's interesting that part one is called Where's Archie? Part two is called Archie is Missing. And part three, which one would expect would be called Archie's Back or Archie Comes Home. Nope, it's called The Longest Kiss. and, And you quickly realize as you're watching it, like you said they tip their hand at the beginning we already know he's okay that it's he, Edith has heard from him and he's no longer missing and he's going to be home soon and the rest of the episode is just them spinning their wheels waiting for the moment that Archie comes in at the end yeah and i and i have to wonder like was it
1: just the fact that they wrote that script the day before because they didn't know that Archie, if Archie was coming back. So they were like, we just have to fill 23 minutes of of time because they." I mean, ugh, I, I, I was fast forwarding. I just couldn't I couldn't watch yeah. it.
0: <laughs> What's weird to me is I don't fully understand in the world of the, the week in which a sitcom is produced. We talked about this when B. Arthur was starting to lighten up her load as Dorothy on the Golden Girls, how she would just leave in the morning and come back at night kind of a thing. I don't understand quite how that works, but I guess the assumption is they had this episode ready to go or they did write it quickly, but it was that, okay, literally Carol is going to show up the day that we are shooting this. And walk in in the last thirty seconds of the episode and deliver one line. So I, I wonder. I assume he wouldn't have been there during the rehearsals because he didn't need to be. He went in the fucking show, right? But how funny that they didn't call it Archie's back. I, that that blows my mind. But uh, yeah, so we're we're getting far, far, far ahead of ourselves. But what is new? i hardly have any notes david so i mean okay well i have copious notes oh and (laughs) we're gonna be here three hours i hope it's
1: i hope we decide to go line by line through the episode because i'm anxious to hear your rob reiner and your sally struthers
0: let's talk about the show let's talk about all in the family we are joining it well in progress season four and uh, the series was created by the wonderful Norman Lear. Uh, the executive producers that are frequently credited in most of the episodes are Don Nicole, Michael Ross, and Bernie West. And you do see at the end of some uh, a Nickel Ross West production. And that also uh, is something you see on episodes of Three's Company. Now, the three of them are producers, Don Nichols, an executive producer, meaning they're in the writer's room uh, nursing the scripts. They wrote for All in the Family, The Jeffersons. They produced The Dumplings, Three's Company, and The Ropers. Have you ever heard of the show, The Dumplings? Yes, but I don't know why. Oh, interesting. It was on from 1975 to 76, only 11 episodes and it was James Coco and Geraldine Brooks. And uh, I think it was about an overweight couple. I think it was based on a a book or even a graphic novel or something. So uh, yeah, it didn't last, which is weird because all their other shows had some degree of uh, success and being pretty high profile, but that's one that just got lost to television history. So let's continue with the nuts and bolts here. Uh, This show was written by Barry Harmon and Harvey Broston. And uh, Harvey Broston only has three credits on his IMDb page. Three episodes of All in the Family, one episode of The Jeffersons, and live in front of a studio audience, because it happened to be one of his scripts that they reenacted when they did The Jeffersons recently for the Jimmy Kimmel Norman Lear. Uh, live series so oh. that's it now he's been nominated for a tony award because he was a producer of the musical romance romance which was a 1978 musical starring uh a then unknown scott bacula and uh he also did win an emmy for one of his all in the family scripts it was called cousin liz and it's where edith and archie go to the funeral of edith's cousin edith's cousin's roommate i'm making air quotes is there and we learned through the course of the episode it wasn't her roommate it was her lesbian lover and so it's archie and Edith dealing with that situation um won an emmy mr broston for writing that script so bravo and uh, imdb says that later in his career he worked as a substitute teacher somewhere in florida And I did another Google search, and I found that as recently as 2016, he is a member of the school board of Broward County. And Broward County is not far from Orange County. I think that's where Cocoa Beach is. Is that where? Is that Brevard
1: County or Broward County? Broward County might be Fort Lauderdale.
0: Oh, yeah, you're right. Now, the other writer of this episode, Barry Harmon. Previous to this, he wrote 27 episodes of The Carol Burnett Show from 73 to 74. After this, he would go on to write for The Great Space Coaster, Salty's Lighthouse, Blues Clues, Clifford the Big Red Dog, Cyber Chase, and Wonder Pets. Do you see a theme forming here, Matthew? No. It's all children's shows. Oh, okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's also a composer, and he composed songs for My Little Pony and Allegra's Window. I have heard of most of these. Some I have not, but I'm assuming if anyone younger than us is listening to this, that they're, they're going to get some of these references. Yeah. And the episode was directed by uh, H. Wesley Kenny, and I forgot to look him up. Matthew, he directed
1: you... a couple episodes of Filthy Rich. He directed an episode of Flow. He directed 24 episodes of All in the Family.
0: Wow, cool. Well, thank you for looking that up for me. Uh, so that's it, nuts and bolts, as far as the, the staff, the production team. But uh, of course, the big question is, where's Archie? And Archie is missing and The Longest Kiss... These are three episodes of All in the Family that do not have Archie Bunker in them. So the big question is, why? And it doesn't take much digging on the internet to find out that Carol O'Connor was in a quote-unquote contract dispute. And uh, it said something about being owed back money. I don't know what that was all about. But uh, literally, they were thinking of... Killing off Archie Bunker from all in the family rather than give him what he wanted, or at least to use it as a a leverage thing of you don't think, we'll you don't think we'll fire you from the show. Guess what? We'll fire you from the fucking show, even though you are the show. But they did end up settling it somehow. But uh, by all accounts, his relationship with Norman Lear was always very strained thereafter, which is also a curiosity because it's like when All in the Family, quote unquote, ended the show transitioned to Archie Bunker's place where Carol O'Connor had more power, more producing credits, story editor credits and more creative control. It's weird. You would think if it was a strained relationship, it would be like, nope, All in the Family's ending and bye bye. Not, we're not working together anymore but I I don't know. Again, it's TV and it's weird. Lastly, I will say that Bill Macy, when he was on Gilbert Gottfried's podcast, referred to Norman Lear as a son of a bitch. And one of the reasons for that was, he said, Norman Lear, let them have uh, residuals from one round of reruns. One. And then after that, he said, I keep the residuals. So the actors for all the Norman Lear shows, and we know, including Facts of Life, the actors do not see money as they are rerun and rerun in perpetuity. And that is a fucking crime. So these episodes were filmed at the beginning of the season and then they were held back so that it didn't look weird. They were coming back from the summer hiatus with no Carol O'Connor. And you will even notice that at the end of episode two, they actually give you a little preview of what's going to happen in episode three. And an announcer even says next week, Archie returns and blah, blah, blah. It's like, they, they make it sure. It's like, this isn't permanent. Archie's coming back. And Isabel Sanford was quoted to say they allude in some articles that she said she was happy. He wasn't there because it gave her and the supporting cast more to do. I'm not sure she was happy. He wasn't there, but, you know, it's Isabel Sanford's right to say, hey, we were just sidebar characters and we got to have more lines and got more screen time. Fuck yes.
1: Or maybe she was like he was a miserable asshole. So I was happy he wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Possibly. <laughs> I've never heard anybody say anything bad about Carol O'Connor, but you know, maybe Isabel Sanford wasn't a fan.
0: Yeah, possibly. And Sally Struthers also on Gilbert Gottfried's uh, podcast interview. She said she had a miserable time there because one of the producers or one of the directors just constantly picked on her. It's that thing where we've seen it happen, where in, in every cast A director feels like they have to pick on one person to show their their authority, to throw their weight around and their power. And she, unfortunately, was the punching bag. And she said she spent a good couple of years saying, get me the fuck off of this show. I don't want to be here anymore. They had a big blowout and had to do a (laughs) sitting around in chairs and working it out and everything. But she said she was pretty miserable for a good chunk of time, which is just a shame because the show was so good. And honestly, she is so good in it really and truly. So that's kind of some background about uh, this season, the circumstances of these episodes. I thought it was interesting to look at the show in a broader scope in terms of how popular it was. People don't realize that this was in the time when there were only three networks. And when you are the number one show on television, Everybody watched you like there was nobody that didn't watch this show. If they watched TV at all, it was that popular season one premiered, uh, mid season as a replacement. It only clocked in at number 34 and, uh, it was during reruns that people kind of started to find it. Somehow it did get renewed for that second season, seasons two through six. It was number one. That is five seasons, five years. They jumped to number one and stayed there. That is astounding. Part of that is because they had the same time slot. They didn't move them around a lot. Then season seven happened and they moved the time slot and it dropped to number 12. Then season eight, they put it back in its original place, which was Sunday nights. It went back up to number four. But that was when Mike and Gloria left at the end of season eight. And as far as my, and as far as I'm concerned, the show should have ended. They should not have gone on past the departure of Mike and Gloria. That's what the entire premise of the show is. Uh, But they went on another year and it did drop a little bit, but it got through nine seasons, 205 episodes, and then segued into Archie Bunker's place for four additional seasons 97 additional episodes. Insanity. And can they kill off Gene Stapleton? Uh, Gene Stapleton did the first season of Archie Bunker's Place, I believe. So I think it was at the beginning of season two of Archie Bunker's Place when it was, they started the episode with Edith has just died. So, oh, another funny thing is that Ken Reed has many times said on his show that part of the popularity of Oh in the family was that uh, liberals watched it because they loved to see Mike make a fool out of Archie and conservatives loved it because they loved that Archie was on television saying all the things that they believed and agreed with, even though he was being made a fool out of every season. As Ken Reed puts it, they watched it the wrong way. Yeah. And yet there was the popularity. People just liked feeling as though they had a voice in this in this middle aged bigot in the early 70s. And for those who've been living under a rock that don't know what All in the Family is, this is right in the middle of the big cultural shift at the late 60s into the early 70s with the hippie culture, with the big wave of super liberalism clashing with the ultra conservatism of the generation before. So you've got Archie Bunker, played by Carol O'Connor, who is basically an old school, middle-aged white guy, bigot. He hates people other than himself. He (laughs) uses every single epithet in the book about every other culture, every other nationality. His wife, Jean Stapleton, playing the part of Edith Bunker. She is his dim-witted, long-suffering wife. His daughter is played by Sally Struthers. She is married to a super ultra liberal, basically a hippie, kind of the original woke culture voice of Mike, Mike Stivic, played by Rob Reiner, who would go on to be a very famous film director. And so Mike and Archie would constantly come into battle. They would be butting heads over whatever the issue of the week was. And it was always Archie being a dumbass, close-minded conservative and Mike being a smart, open-minded liberal and Archie being made a fool of. And that was it. And no TV show had ever head-on tackled the culture war that was going on at that time with the Vietnam War going on and President Nixon getting <laughs> impeached and then quitting and all that. It was really tumultuous times for the country and this is really the first show that reflected it and put it all out there, warts and all. How old do you think Carol O'Connor is at this point? I know. Oh, did you look it up? Mm-hmm. You're always so obsessed with the characters and their ages, Matthew. That's such I, an obsession, I know. of course. Talk to me, What talk about the ages of the cast.
1: Um, oh God, I didn't write them down, but I looked it up. Um, let's see, he was born in 24, so this was, okay. I didn't know there'd be math. 44, 50. 50 years
0: old, David. Hmm. And Jean Stapleton. How old is Jean Stapleton? She's 51. Yes. And uh, to my great surprise, I thought they were a little bit younger than this. But both Rob Reiner and Sally Struthers are both 27. And this is the yeah. fourth season. So that means they were both 23 when it started. I guess that's pretty young. But uh, yeah. Anyhow. It's just the, the acting is so superb. They are all so good. Have you ever watched the unaired pilots? Some of them are on YouTube.
1: Yeah, with the really annoying girl who's playing Gloria.
0: Yeah, different Mike and different Gloria. Same Archie and Edith. Uh, the show was originally supposed to be called And Justice for All. And instead of Bunker, the last name was Justice. So it was Archie Justice okay a little on the nose there norm glad you changed that Um, well it's from a it's
1: from a british show
0: right it was from till death do us part yeah and uh, that is also viewable on youtube and at one time the series was supposed to be called those were the days which is why we have the theme song those were the days so uh yeah um Let's see. Let's talk. We want to start talking about the shows. Good God. I know I'm in the weeds. I I don't know how to not find myself there. Every time I say I'm going to walk around the weeds, I walk right into them. Want to talk about part one? Where's Archie? I love the sound of an old TV
1: series. Like you can hear the echo in the theater. It's like watching live theater being filmed.
0: Yes. And the performances are a little bit bigger. A little bit louder. You hear the echo. You hear the voice bounce back off the back yeah. wall kind of a thing. Yeah. No, I hear you. Totally. I I love it, too. And you could label this as being a little melodramatic. Like when we go to commercial and Gloria says, don't you understand, Michael? Daddy's missing. Ugh. And then the pause while we hear the applause. And then the fade out. It's... <laughs> Little melodramatic, and yet they are all such good actors. They really sell it, and I don't mind. I fucking love it. This is such a good show.
1: Gene Stapleton is next level. Um, Rob Reiner is a puke. Um, you don't like Rob Reiner? I don't say I don't like Rob Reiner. I like everything about Rob Reiner, but just, I remember, like, just, it, he's like, chevy chase to me i don't see the attractiveness of him so i and i don't see like he's just a puke like he's got that weak chin he's got
0: that that hair and i just (laughs) Well, well he doesn't have that hair they're desperately trying to conceal the fact and then uh within another season or two he will actually start wearing a toupee but uh Okay. I I agree with you that he's, he, even by 70s standards, he's not that hot. He's like, okay. Yeah. I'm not sure. And again, I don't think they were going so much for fuckability factor. In fact, the, the, the guy who played in the unaired pilots, that was a little bit more on the handsome, classically handsome side, but you, you don't appreciate how good he and Sally are. Until you see other people trying to speak the same lines and you're like, this just, ooh, <laughs> really upsetting.
1: <laughs> but I wonder if that's a matter of what you're used to. If that, those people had been cast as them for nine years and that's all you knew if you saw an episode with Mike, Rob Reiner and Sally Struthers, you'd be
0: like, ugh, they're annoying. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Who's to say? Who is to say? I don't know. So the opening theme, the very famous, boy, the way Glenn Miller playing. That song was written by Strauss and Adams, the composing team who wrote Bye Bye Birdie, Golden Boy and Applause. It's a contemporary song written for this show. It's not a song from the 40s or the 50s. That Well, no, because they talk
1: about their LaSalle and everything.
0: I guess. <laughs> When I was a kid, I was always like, well, they're clearly singing an old song. They, they're singing a, you know, what it did, Al Jolson sing this or something. And yeah,
1: no, it's like that wonderful song, Deary, with Ethel Merman and Ray Bolger, that where they're singing in the 40s about how great things were. The waltz of a Sousa band, My wasn't the music grand, talking about the teens, for God's sake. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah. yeah, no, you're right. It's two old people reminiscing. Of course, it was written in the 70s or 69.
0: You're right. I don't know where my head is. (laughs) Anyhow. um, So we start the episode with Edith setting up for her first Tupperware party. And while this is going on and Edith is distracted, Gloria is really obsessed with waiting for the phone to ring, saying she's been expecting a call. So what we learned quickly is that Gloria is worried because earlier that day, she got a phone call from one of Archie's colleagues uh, over at the lodge. We know Archie's a member of a lodge. That was a very popular thing back in those days. I don't know if it was the Elks or the, or the, um... the American Legion post. Exactly. But anyhow, he called telling Gloria that the convention Uh, which Archie was supposed to be attending that weekend, he never got on the bus. They all showed up to get on a bus to ride up to Buffalo to go to a hotel for this convention. And he's like, Archie never showed. And Gloria's like, that's weird. That's not like daddy. So throughout the episode, she's waiting for the phone to ring, hoping that she'll get another phone call saying, oh, he turned up. And uh, Michael is surprisingly unsympathetic and unempathetic. He's really uh, not being very helpful to uh, calming down her fears other than, you know, being like, ah, come on, you're being ridiculous. He's gonna show up. He must've taken a plane. He did something else. That whole scene
1: shows how for as liberal, bleeding heart liberal as he was supposed to be, as woke as he was supposed to be by those standards, Watching it now as he's explaining to her, you're looking at this like a woman, Mm -hmm. not looking at this like a man. It's like, (laughs) oh, kick him in the nuts, Gloria, for
0: (laughs) God's sake. Well, and he is called out at other times, too, for being a chauvinist. There are other episodes where they address that. And uh, that's the brilliance of the show, that for his wokeness, Michael does have to confront the fact that he still has residual uh, uh, prejudices of his own, that he's got to also address and and confront. Um, I, I am going to read a little bit out of the script. I'm sorry. I have to do it. The scene you just mentioned, I copied it and pasted it from the, the subtitles uh, transcript site, because I love the way this is written. She says, I'm afraid. What if he got mugged, mugged, mugged? And he says, you're talking just like a woman, all emotion, no logic. And she says, what kind of male chauvinist remark is that? And he says, there's nothing chauvinistic about it. And he says, your father is not on a bus. And then she says, well, then what's the logical explanation? He says he missed the bus. See, I'm the man. I go straight to the point. You as a woman go bananas. And she says, well, why don't you, a man, go to hell? And he responds with, see that? All emotion. And she says, yeah, but it's straight to the point. I'm like, ooh, zing. You go, Gloria. I love it. Something that annoyed me, Matthew, about this episode. Mm fuck that doorbell the doorbell is just a long sustained buzzer type of ring and to me it didn't sound any different than the phone
1: yeah i noticed that and i was like that's a horrible trick to play on us while we're waiting for a phone call to have the exact same sound be the doorbell
0: well that's it and at one point she and michael are in it and the doorbell rings and she is just sits there. She doesn't do anything. And I'm like, "What? wait, why isn't she like, oh, fuck is it? Why isn't she jumping and spazzing out? And then you realize, oh, that's the doorbell and not the, okay. Very weird. Now, that could be accurate. Some, I'm sure the the writers have some familiarity with these, these duplexes in Queens in which the Bunker family is supposed to live. Maybe that is authentically what a doorbell sounds like uh, in, in the burrows, as they call them. But- I still would have been okay if it had some sort of a different pitch or make it a fucking ding dong. It's a TV show for all the liberties that you take. Come on. Anyway, so Edith is really nervous about preparing for this Tupperware party. She's practicing her arm gestures in her speech to welcome everybody. And then to give you a sense of how old the writers are of these shows, Mike and Gloria are supposed to be going to a Marx Brothers convention, uh, like, a, like a film uh, festival, as it were. So at one point, Mike comes down dressed as Groucho Marx, singing hooray for Captain Spaulding. And Gloria comes down dressed as Harpo with the curly wig and the trench coat and the big horn honking away and all that stuff. And they do very funny impressions of it. The costumes are perfectly homemade. Mike literally has electrical tape as his mustache and eyebrows. And uh, Mike is like, let's go to the festival. Let's go to the festival. And Gloria's like, I don't want to go until I've heard from daddy that he's okay. And so that's their push and pull. But then right before they go to commercial, the phone rings again. He's still not there. He wasn't on that first bus. They thought maybe he missed it and just hopped on the next bus. So he'd arrive a few hours later. No. So right before we go to commercial, it's Michael. Don't you understand? Daddy is missing. But
1: the fun. Sally Struthers
0: is dead on. She is this. I was thinking this is not a very funny performance for her at all. This is this whole show. This is a dramatic performance where she is having to play and keep interesting playing the same one note of I'm worried, I'm worried, I'm worried. And she fucking crushes it. She is so good. Hey, do you want to tell our Sally Struthers stories? (laughs) okay well when we saw her in hello dolly like now where is it that you went and saw her and how did you get to actually make her acquaintance through whom through dan labono dan our wonderful friend dan labono
1: yeah we went to see her in um daytona beach Mm -hmm. and there's an eating scene in dolly Mm -hmm. that that happens where it's like just dolly devouring food for five minutes and it's why it takes a good comedic actress to pull that off because you've literally got like five minutes because it's a scene change. And Carol Channing did it masterfully and Sally Struthers did it and there was just no button on the end of it. Like Carol Channing's button was she was trying to chew and trying to talk and then she would stop and then she would talk and then try to talk and then still continue to chew. <clears throat> and then in mm-hmm. comic The Rules of Three she would um, finally make a big swallow and go, your honor (laughs) at the end of it. And so it was like this great button on it. Um, I told her, I said at dinner afterwards, I said, honey, I would be remiss if I didn't give you this note. And she's (laughs) like, oh, please. And I said, why are people at the theater to see hello, Dolly? And she started in with this, "Oh, it's a great show," and you know, blah blah blah, and start, like doing like the the press pitch for mm-hmm. why people should come and do hello, see hello, Dolly. And I said, "No, honey, they're there to see Sally Struthers." And she was like, "Oh, you're sweet." And I said, "No, they are there to see Gloria. These are old people that you are their Gloria." And I said, "You have to end that eating scene." With taking a drink and putting it down on the table and just going, "Boy, the way Glenn Miller played, and the place will go nuts. You have to give them that wink mm-hmm. and let them know that you get it, that that's why they're there. And you're in on it. And she texted me the next night she went, it, she said it went in and it killed.
0: <laughs> yep, there it is. But how nice is she that she didn't look at you and say, oh, really, you have a fucking note for me? Yeah. Yeah. Who the hell am I? Yeah. I did meet her briefly. I was seeing uh, our friend, the wonderful Zach Nadalski, when he was playing Beast in Beauty and the Beast. And Sally Struthers was Belle. But, <laughs> no. At the Maltz Jupiter Theater in Jupiter, Florida. With Ruth Buzzy as Belle. Yeah, okay, we'll go with that. Yes. And uh, our friend Wesley Slade was also in that production. So at that uh, performance, uh, Zach's husband was in the audience, Kurt Von Schmidt. Zach and Kurt have been on the podcast. And Sally Struthers was there in the audience because she was working at the Wick Theater, also in South Florida, doing Miss Hannigan in Annie. And so, um, Doug Douglas Michael Lucas, is that his name? Michael Walters? Mm -hmm. Michael Walters' husband? Uh, They were still in Florida at the time. And so Doug Lucas, who does wigs and costumes there, was sort of her escort. So I, my in to walk up and approach them was... I was like, wait a minute, she's with that guy and I know him. I know him because we're friends on social media, but I'd never met him. So to walk up to say, hi, Doug, I'm David Almeida. I used to work with your husband at Sleuths. We're friends on Facebook. Good to meet you. Oh, and well, who's that? Hi. And she's like, Hello, I'm Sally. And I'm like, I'm one, I'm a very big fan of yours. It's really, really an honor to meet you. And that was it. I just kind of, you know, hit and run, but got to shake her hand. And she was very, very sweet. And then Kurt later approached her and said to her, uh, and this is the truth, it was Zach's birthday. And he said he would be so thrilled if I could record a video with you telling him happy birthday. So she did it. She did not hesitate. She was like, where do we stand? Do it. Hand- who's got the camera? She was just no asking her to do something nice for someone. There was no hesitation. So she was absolutely delightful and lovely in my interaction with her and watching her interact with friends of mine. So there, brava, Sally Struthers. Betty
1: Garrett comes running in, David. I always confuse Betty Garrett for Celeste Holm.
0: You're right; they are very, very similar, and uh, I love her. We also get um, we get Louise Jefferson, we get Isabel Sanford coming in, getting some more screen time. This is the season right before we will get the Jeffersons. But when we come back from commercial, of course, the big thing what we're all leading up to is the entrance of Lillian Henderson. Played by 48 year old Charlotte Ray. 48, David. She, that she is five years younger than I am.
1: Oh, I did like the line where um, Sally Strother says, I hope we don't get arrested walking down the street like this dressed as the thing. Marks. <laughs> you're going to, really? Was that a thing?
0: Uh, I know, really. <laughs> well, then he had to say, like
1: Harpo Marx, you're going to prison, motherfucker.
0: Yeah, but then Mike says, he says to her, Gloria, this is New York. They won't even notice. Like, just to remind you, we're in New York City, where it's crazy. No, it was 75 in New York City. So, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. You're right. Uh, So in comes Mrs. Henderson. And, uh, oh, my God, her. First of all, she's supposed to be from Schenectady. So she's doing or attempting to do that central upstate New York dialect. Not too far off from what you would do as a Minnesota or a Wisconsin. So right in her wheelhouse because Charlotte Ray is from Milwaukee. But loudly turning it on really high. Uh, direct from Tupperware. Always on time, even on days like today when I have to fly all the way in from Schenectady. By the way, I do want to point out, Schenectady is only a three-hour car trip to Queens. So why she had to fly in from Schenectady is interesting. And I think Archie's bus trip to Buffalo was like five or six hours. It's like Archie's the one who should have been flying and she should have been the one on a bus for how far they had to go. But anyway. She is, she still has her brown hair. It's short. It's not in a bun. It's in a nice, smart little matronly flip. She has a gray hat with a bow on it and pearls around her neck, a conservative Navy blue dress, pearl earrings, uh, reading glasses on a chain around the neck. I love that as a touch. She never uses them, but that's a lovely costume thing. And Uh, She just kind of sweeps in because she's the company representative from Tupperware who is there to facilitate this Tupperware party that Edith is throwing. So she is just sweeping in. And God, she is great in this. Watching her kind
1: of enlightens me to how she was on Facts of Life. Like we've we've talked about her choices being broad and big and everything, but she's just a a product of her time because this was like a a film theater experience Mm -hmm. and just no and she's from the theater so nobody told her like watching Angela Lansbury in Murder She Wrote nobody told her there's a camera two feet in front of her (laughs) so nobody said I need about 10% of what you're giving me Mm -hmm. so I mean it just kind of kind of reiterated like oh well that's why she was so broad because this is where
0: she got into tv this is what happened that's her thing that's what she did and did very very well um there's a great bit where her first thing she walks in and she walks over and almost touches Archie's chair And we all know that filthy, worn out, (laughs) ugly ass chair. That was Archie's favorite chair. She walks in, she almost touches it. And then she just stops short, kind of a little bit taken aback as to how gross it is. And it gets a great reaction from the audience because we know how important that chair is. Uh, And a nice way to kind of give a little nod to the presence of Archie in the room, even though he's not there. Um. But uh, the conversation between her and Edith is about uh, basically about her job, about getting to travel to exciting places. Newark, Hoboken, Hartford, Utica. This week I'm in Brooklyn. Next week I'm in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. So uh, this is a weird question. I was never aware that they actually sent a corporate representative from the Tupperware company to the individual Tupperware parties. I'm like, is I'm watching it going. Is is that a thing? This is a question for Michael Wanzi, not for us. Wanzi would know. But
1: is she a corporate person or is she just another
0: Tupperware lady? She says, "Direct from Tupperware" is her first line. Oh, so from Tupperware. Uh, so I would have reason to assume that she's a, a corporate representative. Tupperware party facilitator lady, which is why she travels so much. I, I don't know. It's not really know. explained, but whatever. I Honestly, I don't care. So as she's doing all this chitter-chatter, we see that she is clearly a Organized lady, she's moving the chairs and just moving them a few inches to rearrange them perfectly, and kind of getting everything all set and put together. And then she walks over to the table. The dining room table has all of this Tupperware laid out on it, and she stops dead in her tracks and says, "Missus Bunker, you've broken up a family." And Edith's like, "What? Uh, I didn't mean to. What? What are you talking?" And she says, "Look at that server layer." What's it doing with the wonderlears? And Edith says, I I don't know. And this wonderful moment where she turns to her like she's just stabbed a baby and says, it didn't get there by itself, did it? (laughs) Just like accusing her. It's so fucking funny. God. And then uh, when Edith goes to fix it, she grabs one of the bowls to switch around. She says, no, no, not the jiffy sift. Matthew, you know what I'm about to tell you, right? Is it a story about a Jiffy Sift? It's the fact that I did Google what is a servalier, what is a Wonderlier, and what is a Jiffy Sift. <laughs> oh. And uh, here's the deal. Easy, actually, it's very simple. The servaliers are the, the bowls with the lids that are more square in shape, and the lids have that radial ridge pattern on it. The Wonderliers are just round. They're more like a round, high-sided bowl with a top that's flat that goes on it. The Jiffy Sift looks like a big, tall, like a salt shaker, salt mill that you put your stuff in and do it. So uh, when she says, no, not the Jiffy Sift, there ain't no Jiffy Sift on the table. It is not there. <sighs> and her complaint that the Servalier is incorrectly positioned with the wonderleers When she goes and fixes it and moves it back, she's doing it backwards. She's actually taking a wonderleer away from the servilears and returning it to its wonderleer family. <laughs> I cannot believe I'm saying this. I'm such a nerd. Oof. Uh Yeah. But anyway, just that's that's the thing that, OK, writers, writers did their fucking homework. The director and the actress did not. So anyway, um, but uh, you know who this role made me think of? Edie McClurg. Yeah. Isn't this a very Edie McClurg role? Like if it was done 20 years later? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So um, the, the one thing to kind of button this whole introduction scene And all that before the party gets started is she says, Mrs. Bunker, there are three things a woman remembers her wedding night, the birth of her first child and her first Tupperware party. And that is interrupted by Mike and Gloria coming back into the room from the cellar where they have taken the phone and taken it down there to be making some more phone calls to try and see if they can track down Archie. Remember when we couldn't take the phone more than six feet away from the plug where it was plugged in? oh yeah my brother
1: used to pull it around the wall and sit on the floor oh really so he didn't
0: have to sit in the kitchen and have conversations i remember because you again as just the slight difference in our age do you remember when the plug in slight difference in our age david uh i know that i am older than you matthew Do you remember the four-prong plugs before we went to the modular, you know, plastic wire phone jack? No. Okay, there you go. You're not that old. I am that old. And the first time I found at Radio Shack an extension cord for the telephone, the four-prong thing that plugged into the wall, it wasn't, I could take the phone across the room. It was life-changing because otherwise you literally had to just sit where the phone was. How did we do that? Now it's like, I can't can't be on the phone and not be doing something else. It's it's so weird. The shift that's happened technologically speaking. But anyway, um, still no word about Archie. Mike and Gloria are still really, really worried. Mike still convinces Gloria to go to the film festival and and charlotte ray does say oh this is wonderful you've hired entertainment (laughs) tupperware won't pay for that and edith's like no no no! they're not entertainment they're just leaving so uh and the whole time this is this is really unfolding like a play isn't it as far as edith is so fixated on the party and the arrangements She's in the dark and she does periodically say, oh, I haven't heard from Archie yet. Isn't that strange? Oh, well, I got to go put the coffee on or something. So periodically she's like, well, what were you doing down in the cellar talking on the phone? I don't do a very good Edith Bunker. And, you know, the whole thing of we know what Edith doesn't know. And uh, it's it's again, the writing is so goddamn good. And in the midst of this crisis, it's funny that jokes come consistently and I, oh, hats off to these writers, man. They are so good. Um, I think there was a blooper in this when they're sitting at the kitchen table and Mike convinces Gloria to go. Uh, she's standing behind him when he slides his chair out. I think he accidentally hit yeah. her Harpo horn and Rob Reiner just went, oh, excuse me, and kept right on going. And they didn't stop tape. They just let it go. And I'm like, you go, boy, just run with it, man. And uh Yeah, and that scene caps off with, come on, Gloria, what's the worst that could happen? He could come home. (laughs) So the party's in full swing. I count there are five extras who don't have any lines. They're just bodies, neighbors, friends at the party. But we've got the five extras plus Irene, Betty Garrett, Louise Jefferson, Isabel Sanford, Uh, Lillian, Charlotte Ray, and a couple Mr. and Mrs. Estrada, whom we are about to meet. So it's Edith and 10 people at the party, including Charlotte Ray. And it would not be all in the family if we didn't address some sort of culture clash. And oh, man, this scene is just delicious, isn't it? Uh, Well, delicious
1: is a word. What would you call it? Um, in 2022,
0: I would call it cringy. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Oh, totally. Totally. The thing I love about what's about to happen is this is kind of including the stuff that would have been happening if Archie had been around the idea of the clueless white person addressing minorities. The nice thing is that Charlotte Ray is not coming from a place of malice. She's coming from a place of extreme ignorance. And uh, Mr. and Mrs. Estrada come in, and uh, first thing she says is, "What? there's a man here, a man at a Tupperware party. I'm not sure that's the thing. And Edith says, oh, no, no, no. He's here on behalf of his wife. And she says, why? Is she deaf? And is like, no, Puerto Rican. He's going to translate for her. At which point she's like, oh, okay. Well, if that'll get us a sale, we're good. And then Charlotte Ray says, I have just the thing for you. Our pie holder doubles as a tortilla holder. And Mr. Estrada says to her, Puerto Ricans don't eat tortillas. And actually, we don't even eat tortillas. And I was watching this and I thought, okay, what in the actual fuck? Come on, writers. Really? Really? What the fuck?
1: Puerto Ricans don't eat tortillas?
0: I googled it. They don't.
1: (laughs) I am such an asshole. If I put a tortilla in front of a Puerto Rican person, they aren't going to eat it?
0: Uh, It's not that they're not going to eat it. It's just that what we think of as Latin food in this country, most of it is based on Mexican cuisine. Mexican food, the tortilla is a staple as far as what you wrap your burritos, your tacos and stuff in that. It's that thing of, you know, again, being just a, being a stupid, clueless American white guy. I'm like, what don't Puerto Rican and Mexican people eat the same food, right? Of course it's all the same. No, no. Well, no, I wrong. didn't
1: think that. I just thought that, you know, <sighs> it was kind of a broad statement to say Puerto Ricans don't eat tortillas.
0: Yeah. I think the, that was just shorthand for that's not really a food that comes from our country. Thank you for thinking so, but no. Yeah, I'm not saying a Puerto Rican has never gone to Taco Bell, but, you know. (laughs) So anyhow, so that was what I learned. All in the family is out to educate, and that's what I learned in this episode. And uh, as he translates to the wife, she thinks that we would be eating tortillas. They both laugh as they walk away. And Charlotte rages so beautifully, (laughs) ah! <laughs> like laughing along like I don't know what they said, but they're laughing so I'm laughing it's really really quite funny. And uh, just when we think the cringy might be over Oh, no, it gets cringier. Lillian goes over to Louise Jefferson. Irene is on hand watching Betty Garrett is fucking awesome. She is just the perfect level of participating reacting but not pulling focus, but not saying, why the fuck is Irene even standing there? Like she, she makes it all work. God, she is so good. So she says, oh, Mrs. Jefferson, I am so delighted to see you here. And Louise says, oh, do, do we know each other? And she says, no, but we have overcome, haven't we? And winks at her. (laughs) And it's like, oh, what is happening? And Louise, beautifully deadpan. We have? And she says, yes, just last week I hosted an all-black Tupperware party. And Louise says, well, it couldn't have been all-black. And she says, oh, it was, it was. Didn't you say you were there? Oh! And then she goes on to say, it was a wonderful party. And she says, I took in $300 that night, even though I was the only honky there. (laughs) Honky. That's black for white. (laughs) Stop. Stop talking. Stop talking. Oh, my God. And again, Isabel Sanford just playing it so straight. Is that right? Sometimes I wish I were white so I could get used to all of those black expressions too.
1: Careful. They're going to take this down off of Apple Podcasts because they're going to think we used the the actual audio from the show. It was like if I closed my eyes, it was like having that scene played for me. I'm saying you're nailing your Isabel Sanford.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a good one. George! I can't get my, by the way, if you watch any of the Carol Burnett, what are called the lost episodes, the early seasons, seasons one through five that were not available in reruns until only a couple of years ago, anytime they need an African-American actress, it's always Isabel Sanford. And it's like, Oh my God, there she is before she was Louise. So that's kind He's of. Wonderful. pushing
1: 60 in this episode.
0: Fuck yeah. Oh yes. Uh, so now it's time for Edith's welcome speech. And she fucks it up royally and comedically and hilariously. Mike and Gloria burst in the middle of it fighting. And then uh, finally the phone rings and Edith gets to it before Mike and Gloria can get to it. And Edith hears the news from Butch, Archie's friend, that he's not there and he still isn't there. Now Edith understands what's going on. And so Edith dramatically hangs up the phone and walks over to the chair on the other side of the room from where the rest of the party is going on. And- uh, Gloria tells everybody to quiet down. Yeah, thank you. And then she says, Ma, are you okay? And she can't speak, she's still in shock. And then Charlotte Ray chimes in, the final words of the episode. Oh, certainly she's all right. She's just a little overwhelmed by it all. Like I said, we never forget our first Tupperware party. And very long. Yeah. Edit. Mm -hmm.
1: Very long. Call, call, call. Throw all the Emmys at Jean Stapleton. She had me like tearing up a little bit. Like I could see the pain in her face.
0: Yeah. And the fact that she can play this seemingly one-dimensional dim-witted character her nickname was dingbat just because she was usually just playing clueless or stupid through most of the series and yet when she was called upon to play this this type of stuff it's like oh no 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 this is an actress with a capital A A a yeah damn so that's charlotte ray's part in the show. And uh, I, I think it's one of her finest <laughs> performances, honestly. I think it's such a perfect uh, tailor-made character. And this, I assume, was towards the beginning of her uh, friendship and affiliation with Norman Lear. That would lead to Mrs. Garrett. That would lead to uh, Facts of Life. So, so bravo to her. Really, really great. So to kind of quickly go through what the other two parts have we have part two called archie is missing we have a scene with louise calling gloria and this is where george jefferson comes in we're kind of uh calling out the forces here with the supporting cast so we have louise and george and they get into one hell of a fight over how george is being so unsympathetic whereas louise is genuinely concerned because gloria and edith are so worried and it's like they're threatening to fucking beat on each other. It's bad. What did you think of that?
1: I literally have two lines of notes for the second and third episode. <laughs> My next note is about boom, boom.
0: Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, it made me think of how there were times that Walter and Maud, on Maud, would go into the kitchen. And you just hear shit being thrown and, and stuff like it's. Apparently, domestic violence was much more popular back then, <laughs> much more acceptable and clearly hilariously funny. But Edith and Mike go to the police station to file a missing persons report, but Archie's not been gone for 24 hours. Uh, then back at the house, uh, Stretch Cunningham shows up. Stretch Cunningham is a character that Archie has talked about in the past that also works at the cap company, where Archie has been working and uh stretch Cunningham. This is the first time we're meeting him. He's introducing himself to them. It's James Cromwell. Did you recognize well,
1: him? He's basically playing Ed Norton for God's sake. I know. I mean, yes,
0: he really is. He's doing
1: Jesus, I half expected him to walk in and ask where Ralphie boy was.
0: Yeah, it's true. James Cromwell, who, by the way, is six foot seven. So he, when they call him Stretch Cunningham as the character, when they were like, let's actually cast an actor and bring Stretch Cunningham into the show. It's like, okay, we need a super tall Irish guy. Oh, done. (laughs) Look, no further. But Stretch was always the funny man, the jokester. And he really lives up to it here, as far as he comes in and he's got a one-liner and a zinger for every single thing that he says. And they're never quite that funny. And never quite as funny as he thinks they are as he laughs at them. But you get why down at the cab company, he is the fucking rock star as far as him making the other guys laugh. Like I thought they, they wrote it just right. And yeah, he's, he's just going to talk and play like this going, Hey, yeah. Um so Mike and Gloria have found a picture of Archie with some woman at the company picnic in 1973 and stretch verifies that this woman is a woman named Mildred, but everyone at the place calls her boom, boom. And it's cause she's got big boobs. So.
1: Mike is looking at the picture saying that she, th- he thinks she's 35.
0: No. I didn't catch that. Mike said
1: 30. He Yeah, he, 35. This woman is a solid 50 when she walks in that door. Oh, I was going
0: to say 60 easily.
1: I looked it up. She's 50. No.
0: The year they filmed this. Woo. Yeah. It's a rough 50, guys. Different time when women didn't have work done. Women aged
1: but gracefully. You'll recognize her. Did you recognize her, David?
0: Uh, I recognized her from this. I knew her. I had seen her on the show because they've they've used her a couple of times. Uh, You've
1: seen Peggy. You've seen Sorted Lives, haven't you? The movie. Yeah. She was Peggy.
0: Oh, for Christ's sake.
1: The old, old, old woman that dies having an affair with that man.
0: Wow. God, I haven't seen that in so long. But now that you say that, I do remember. Yeah. <laughs> but it comes into question that maybe uh, play in the sex pot until the end. Yep. You go, girl. Yeah. <laughs> But what the episode, writing-wise, does beautifully, and again, it is it is really playing like a play. It sets up at the police station that uh, if it's just a middle-aged white guy who's just skipped town, uh, you know, we get a lot of calls about that. Usually it's guys running off, like running off with their mistress or something. And they're like, oh, well, don't be ridiculous. Then they find this photograph. And then... Stretch comes in and they ask him to identify her. And he says, well, I'll go down to work and I'll ask her if she knows anything about where Archie might be. Stretch comes back later and says, "Uh, she's not at work. She called in sick. But when I called her house, she didn't answer the phone. So now I'm trying to call her mother and she's not answering. And then even Gloria takes out the phone book and tries to call her herself. So then Boom Boom finally comes to the house, but she verifies that, no, she and Archie are not having an affair. In fact, she kind of hates Archie, and he's the one that dubbed her Boom Boom. And uh, yeah, so the very last word I think she says is she says to Edith, you're married to Archie, you have my sympathy, or something like that. So with Boom Boom's departure, that leaves Edith and Gloria and Mike once again with so he's not with Boom Boom, then. Where is he? Long, pensive, clap and fade. Another dramatical ending, because Carol O'Connor still ain't anywhere to be found. Yeah. But this time, as I said earlier, the episode ends with a little preview of next week and an announcer saying, next week, when Archie comes home, everyone is getting ready to celebrate. And then part three called the longest kiss, like I said, not called Archie's back. Edith is running around singing to herself, setting the table at the top of the show. Mike and Gloria come in. Oh, I just got back from the police station, still no word and oh, we're still sorry, there's no thing. And Edith is like, no, it's okay. I heard from Archie. He's back. He's gonna be home tonight. And then we hear the whole saga of how uh, he got on the bus. They offered them drinks. He sat next to a Mormon who doesn't drink. So we had the Mormons drinks. And then he got diverted to a a podiatrist convention. And then they were driving drunk and they got arrested. We hear the whole saga of what happened to Archie through Edith, repeating it to us. And he's going to be back soon, within an hour or so. And the entire rest of the episode is just them spinning their wheels.
1: I want to know what it was like for that poor studio audience that got tickets to the number one show on television for two weeks and
0: Archie wasn't in the episode. Fuck off. (laughs) Not even there at the beginning to sing the theme song, which we know they would they would wheel out a piano and sing it live for every audience at the top of the taping. So not even that, it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I
1: did read that they did have a script to kill off Archie um, if, if it got to that, but it was later rewritten for the episode of Good
0: Times when um, they killed also, off James. <laughs> yeah, when they killed off James. John Amos. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So the the wheel spinning consists of Mike and Gloria fighting and fighting and disagreeing and calling each other a liar and ugh, they do a great job with it. They do what they can. You still believe they love each other. At least the actors are good enough to play that Uh to try and distract themselves, Edith gets a hula hoop out of the cellar and they're using the hula hoop. And then Louise comes over for some bread to make George a sandwich because he's been drinking and needs to get something in his stomach. And then Irene shows up and then George shows up a little drunk, but Irene has brought wine because she had already spoken to Edith and knew that Archie was coming home. So they drink the wine, they're getting tipsy. George turns on music, Edith, is getting drunk and hula hooping. Mike and Gloria are in this lengthy, long, continuous kiss for reasons I can't even begin to describe how we get to that point. And George and Louise are jitterbugging. And finally, Irene grabs a pillow cushion and does a headstand. This is a wacky party. All of this is just leading up to the point when Archie walks in the door, and all of this craziness is going on. The the kissing, the dancing, the hula hooping, the head standing, the music, and he has one line. I knew you didn't know what to do without me, but I didn't know you all would go nuts. At which point they all stop, Archie's back, and they all clump around him and hug him, end of episode. Mm. And it's like, oh my God, this episode, they literally said, okay, How do we make a visual, wacky, crazy, something happen for Archie to walk in on? And then how do we reverse engineer that through the rest of the episode? And that's it, that's all. And it's, it's yeah, it's unfortunately a bit of a letdown. And um, yeah, mostly because like you had said, the telling of the whole story of what happened to Archie you You couldn't have saved it for another week where we had Carol O'Connor the whole time, and he could have told us what happened or that
1: be or what did happen, Archie, like when he finally walks into the room yeah i like he's i've i Archie's fine, he said he'll tell me the whole thing when he gets here and or something at the beginning of the episode, but no, she has to tell the whole story,
0: yeah. I mean, it would have had been put off to the next week. They couldn't. Clearly, they didn't have them again this week, other than to have them show up on taping day. But maybe we didn't need to drag this out any longer than it was. But very weird. So strange what writers have to do to write around the circumstances behind the camera. Yeah. And figure out what's going on. When you fire Valerie Harper from the show called Valerie
1: and she'll be okay with us using
0: her name <laughs> on the show. She's not in. Don't worry. Yeah, exactly. Valerie's family. It's like, what? And uh, the other thing I'm trying to think of is, um, is it Miss? Is it Miss O'Brien? Who was the really, really bitchy servant in the first or first season of Downton Abbey might've been the first I've never two
1: watched an episode of Downton Abbey. Well,
0: anyhow, there was one main antagonist who was always stirring shit up and being a total see you next cunt and it was miss o'brien i believe was the character's name and the actress left the show in between seasons on the hiatus so literally the season that followed started with a suitcase being packed a coat being grabbed and the silhouette of a woman with a similar hairdo walking down the stairs out the door and off the property and then the next morning is what Miss O'Brien just quit and left and didn't leave any word. Well, she did leave this note. And now let's read what the note says. And um yeah. And of course, Laverne and Shirley, how they royally fucked up the departure of Shirley. How awful, awful it was the way they handled that. Having Shirley leave a show called Laverne and Shirley. Mm. So, Matthew, we're kind of at the end of this uh, little saga here. We do need to give it our talkaholic chips rating uh, system. And uh, I'm letting you go first this time. How many talkaholic chips out of five?
1: Well, all in the family is always going to get five. Mm-hmm. Yep. Who am I to sit here and say that this show is anything less than perfection
0: yeah no it is really really always good nowadays you watch it it is certainly a bit dated of its time but uh, what it did and if you can watch it in that context and appreciate what the fuck it was doing and how revolutionary it was yeah i give all in the family overall five out of five i give episodes uh one and two of this three-parter also five out of five um i'm sorry though I think the longest kiss I'm going to have to go with four there. Okay. I did it. I said it. All right. Yep. Fight me on it. This was fun. Yes.
1: We have different ideas of fun.
0: <laughs> and, and of course what it all does come back to is Charlotte Ray. Charlotte Ray is magnificent on it. And I'm really, really happy. We got to see another performance of hers. Cause we're definitely missing her from the facts of life. Now that we're heavily, deeply into the Beverly Ann years, and uh, no distichlorous, of course. And uh, maybe next month we should try to look for something, for that something Chloris to uh, analyze.
1: All right. I mean, we did Phyllis, we did that awful Marlo Thomas movie, for God's sake. I mean, you know.
0: That's true, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe. We'll see all right well tootie fruities thank you again so much for supporting the show we so greatly appreciate it and uh we will talk at you next month thanks and goodbye Mwah.
1: david i was thinking we should call the show ant flow because it's like a bad period it shows up once a month whether you want it to or not <laughs> Not
0: nah. nah, hi everybody we're we're done I'm I'm clicking, I'm done. Everything is the
1: same as it used to be. I see it's all over now, all over now with rule, and tomorrow I can start in Remembering sad because we're parting, remembering, consolate my heart.
0: Oh, so Uh, no more about gel code when the force don't you call in the
1: more importantly.